heading to South Africa to see what we can find. An amazing birding adventure is what we have in mind. Thank you for tuning in to Hannah and Eric Go Birding, a podcast by birders for birders. I'm Hannah and he's Eric. And we created this podcast to share adventures, sometimes misadventures, and opinions that we have on different birding topics. We're definitely not experts and anything that we discuss that might be controversial. I want you to remember, it's our own opinions and it might be different from yours. So, uh, another trip to Africa is what yeah. we have in store for you all. And while we were out there, there was some um, really exciting news that came out from England. Yes, that was something I didn't think that would happen again. I kind of figured it was uh, it was a done deal and it was all over, but uh, it's back. Yeah, so um, there is a bird fair that happens, well, was happening every year in Rutland, England, mm -hmm. which we had, hadn't been to, but we had tried to like think about going to we, we had plans to go to it the first year it wasn't held yeah <laughs> and uh so everybody was just devastated to hear the news i think we were in uganda at the time when they posted that bird fair is no more that is done forever and it's... everybody was like really bummed about it even though you know we were bummed too because we didn't get a chance to go yeah. but then um when we were in south africa we heard the news that uh, a different bird fair is back on. Yeah, slightly, I, I guess it's going to be slightly different, but, uh, same, uh, same original, uh, Concept. organizer and, and all that stuff. So we'll see, we'll see if, uh, Tim can get this, get this off the ground and have it just as successful as the previous one, which yeah. is super exciting. And I, I can't wait to get out there and hopefully we can, hopefully we can go to England with this, this time. So Tim Appleton is the, um, is the coordinator of it, and he was the original, as we understand, he was the original coordinator of the initial uh, bird fair, and he, um, we interviewed him about his global birding initiative, mm -hmm. um, I think last year or yeah. so. Which is actually his global birding um, initiative nonprofit that's putting on this bird fair, so... Yeah. It's an old thing. <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's in July of 2022 um, in, in, in London, well, outside of London, Rutland. I'm, I don't know. Is, is it going to be in Rutland again? I believe so, okay, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so we're hoping to go. We don't know if that'll work out for our schedules because July is a hard time. But, yes, because um, July is tourist season. <laughs> yeah. So put that on your, your calendar if uh, you intend on going. So we've gotten a couple reviews. Um, one was a, a publicly accessible review, and another one was an email that came in to us. Uh, Hannah, do you want to read the, the email? Sure. So the first one is from Tim, who said, I finally caught up listening to all your episodes. I started listening uh, to your episodes about the Rio Grande Valley last fall when I needed to research places to bird in the RGV during the festival. Thanks for all the good birding tips and for the recommendations of where to go for good eats, too. Since then, I've binged all your episodes and will be listening to each new one at the first chance I get. As another listener stated, each episode feels like a fun revisiting of the day's birding adventures with friends. Fun and lighthearted while also being very educational, not to mention inspirational. The way you treat each birding outing as an adventure and spend as much time recounting the local residents as you would a rarity reminds listeners that every bird in its own location is special, even the most common ones. Keep up the good work, and if you ever make it to Wisconsin, I can point you to some good breweries. So thank you, Tim, uh, for that. We really appreciate it, and we're, we're glad we, we hit the mark for what we're trying to do. And, yeah, and we actually, when we, we spent the, what is it, three hours or four hours... In Wisconsin, oh yeah, um, at the at, at at the dump right across the border from 
So we'll need to get there for some yes. actual breweries. Some, uh, some, uh, well, we saw a sign for a brewery. We just, uh, Did we? <laughs> yeah, but we some someplace else had uh, better cheese curds. I think is what the the reviews said. So we ended up going somewhere else. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, we'll follow cheese curds, cheese curds and beer. <laughs> but we we definitely need to go. I mean, we only spent like three hours. Yeah. in the state. So we need to we need to go back and properly bird some Wisconsin and properly drink it too. <laughs> <laughs> So the other review um, was uh, through Apple Podcast or something. Some some uh, yeah. review source um, from J Bid Good. Um, it seems like I, I've been subscribed to this podcast for a while now. I definitely like some episodes more than others. My favorites are stories about your birding travels. Storytelling is a strength of this podcast. There is also a lot of helpful practical information about the birding locations you visit. I know I'll be listening your, to your episodes again about South Texas when I eventually plan a trip there. So it sounds like we we have some fans of our trips to South Texas. We're just going to change this. Hand in air and go to South Texas. Hand in air and go to South Texas. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you both for your reviews. We really appreciate yes. it. And uh, yeah, we, we like the feedback. Um, so we, we know what our listeners enjoy listening to. We also wanted to give a shout out to uh, one of our listeners, Klaus, who uh, had an opportunity to, on Alberta Birds, to mention us. Mm -hmm. I guess there was a post that was like, hey, does anybody know any good um, podcast recommendations? And so Klaus uh, put this whole long thing about us. And, you know, that was really nice. Thank you, Klaus. We really appreciate you sharing the, the love of birding in our podcast with others. Yeah, and we can we can see where locations are where people download locations from and there there was a slight uptick in in that region after his uh post so that was that was super nice thanks thanks klaus and uh thanks for anyone else that shares us on any of their socials or any of their groups around yeah we do this for fun um you know i think we probably said we don't want your money uh, <laughs> <laughs> give, give your money to a conservation organization that's actually doing some good yeah so we really do appreciate it when um when you mention us yeah and you you know collab or talk to us <laughs> it makes us feel like you know there's people out there who who like birds and want to talk about birds with us yeah which is cool it's awesome i feel like i've actually answered a lot of fan emails in the last couple weeks which has been very exciting for me fan emails <laughs> that's what i'm calling them <laughs> so um, it's, it's mostly hate but uh it's not mostly <laughs> stop it <laughs> I'd be, I'd cry a lot more if that was the case. Uh, so I did have an episode come out in between of Women Birders Happy Hour, and my episode was with Christina Hagen. If, if you don't know, Hannah has a different podcast also, that she interviews women birders from around the world about their experiences and in the birding community and in the outdoor nature enthusiast and community as a whole as well. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Eric's never listened to an episode. Uh, <laughs> I've listened to episodes. <laughs> Just because you're recording them. <laughs> um, so anyways, this uh, last one was with Christina Hagen, who is a BirdLife South Africa conservation scientist. And the cocktail for that episode was an African penguin. And that was based on a drink we actually had during this um, this trip that we're going to tell you about called a Don Pedro, which is delicious. Mm, it's Amarillo. It and um and ice cream <laughs> it's yes. like a adult milkshake so check out uh my episodes it can be found anywhere where you find our episodes and learn more about some really awesome women birders around the world yeah so we are about to travel again Woohoo! Um, it's a it's a much shorter trip a much more localized uh trip for us um, we're getting really spoiled because like in 
I don't know, after Israel, we probably won't travel for like six months. Oh, at least, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we we have uh, San Diego coming yep. up um, in a week, two yeah. weeks, week and a half. Um, and then, and we're going to, that's, the reason we're going to San Diego is for the San Diego Bird Festival. Mm-hmm. We're going to be guiding uh, birding and biking um, around mm-hmm. Mission Bay. It's going to be awesome. Hopefully we'll do a couple uh, of the wetland walks that are right there um, in the afternoon, but yeah. we'll, we'll see. Either we'll probably go walk the wetlands, even if we're not guiding anything, because that that uh, that jetty is just spectacular for birds. Yeah, so we're really excited to go to, back down to San Diego oh, yeah. and see some cool birds. Yeah, and then uh, hopefully Israel. Um, yeah, so st- still got fingers crossed. Every everything says positive. Everything says it's it's going to happen. Yeah, but. so if everything does uh, go off, then in April, at the beginning of April, we'll be in Is- Israel for the Champions of the Flyway competition, which we wanted to go to several years ago, but then you know COVID. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, um, and then after that, I think we're going to be hanging out at home for a few months <laughs> while we uh, work and get through the summer. Unless you have a festival that you would like to hire two podcasters? I don't know. Guide, I was gui- say. Guiding podcasters? Uh, I call us personalities. Personalities. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've got a personality. Jared did want us to do uh, birds and beers. So, That's any, true. <laughs> any festival that wants us to do, um, you know, afternoon birds and beers, like we are up for it. <laughs> And it doesn't have to just be talking about birds. We can go out and look at birds while drinking beer somewhere. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's always fun. I our, like to do it in our backyard. Our town has an open uh, drink policy. so That's true. You, we, can, you can drink just just like Vegas or... Uh, New Orleans. New Orleans. Yeah. It's one of, the, one of the few cities in the States where you can just drink alcohol while wandering around. And that's why we live here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we also want to announce our... I think our last piece of news is announcing our Bird Nerd giveaway for yeah. February. Burr, 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 burr. Oh, no, that's only for the winner. Okay. I, t- I take that sound effect back. Um, so we were just super thrilled to have Celestron, uh, which is an optics company. Mm-hmm. They graciously gifted us. They, uh, they make more than optics. They focus mostly on uh, um, astronomical optics, so telescopes and stuff of that nature that uh, they use at night. But they um, also do have but binoculars they do binoc- and they, they have binoculars. They have regular um, day scopes. And they have this great line of elements items. Um, and so this is what your Bird Nerd giveaway is. It's a Thermo Charge 3, which is a hand warmer and a charger. Like hand warmer charger. comes in handy this time of year. It does. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's a really cool item. They had sent us uh, some before to check it out. And mm-hmm. we've actually used it a lot in our travels. They have one that's a... Um, a flashlight, and Eric's obsessed with flashlights, so I love this was perfect for him. It's a flashlight and hand warmer and charger, all in one, which was actually really helpful when we were in Uganda. Mm-hmm. And then we also had um, another hand charger, or a <laughs> hand charger. A hand charger. It charges we, your hands. We had a charger that's also a hand warmer, which come, came in really handy also because I get very cold. Um, so a lot of really cool products that they offer in, in that line. So what we have for you is a Celestron Elements Thermocharge 3. Uh, what we are asking is, Eric? Um, tell us about a birding accessory that you take along with you birding that you just couldn't bird without or birding would be less fulfilling if you didn't have it. Um, examples, I have uh, Merlin. Sure. I, I, I use Merlin. It's uh, I guess technically my phone would be the accessory, but uh, I, I use Merlin. It's, it's not... Something that actually I'm using to bird, but it's an accessory that's on the side and it makes birding a little bit more enjoyable. And my example would be I have a Mountain Smith bag, which is um, it's like a 
fanny pack on crack or something. I mean, it's like this fanny pack that I can hold water. I can, you know, my passport fits in there. I can hold a book. I always Yeah, a whole field guide fits in it. Yeah, I have a journal in there. Um, But it's it's not too obtrusively huge. And it's really comfortable, and it also has a shoulder strap, so you can use it, you know, as a a purse, I guess, if you want to. But, you know, I, I didn't know that I needed that until we were going to Uganda, and I was like, man, I need a fanny pack, and I found that one, and it's just been super useful, and I really am glad I have it. Um... And so that's what we are looking for. Some example of some burning item that isn't a burning item that you couldn't live without because yeah. the Celestron thermocharge can, can be used as a burning item, but isn't a burning item. Exactly. It'll char- charge up your phone. It'll keep your hands warm. It kind of, kind of does all the things that your optics and your field guide isn't going to do. <laughs> <laughs> and that's their slogan. <laughs> Is that their slogan? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, um, if you guys want to buy that slogan for me, it's, it, I'm offering it real cheap right now. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so just go ahead and send us, uh, what your favorite birding accessory is, um, to any of our social medias, to our email, to just tag us and whatever. We'll probably post it on social media a couple different times, um, a couple different ways where you can, uh, just comment on it. Um, and you have to submit by... February 22nd. There we go. February 22nd. And we'll announce it on our February 24th episode. And we'll randomly select someone who submits. Yeah. Random, like always. So thank you, Celestron, uh, for for contributing in this item. It's really cool. Yeah, super awesome. So to our main story, for those of you that skipped, this is it. <laughs> okay, skippers. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah rolls her eyes every time I say that, but uh, I've, I've, I think I've said say, it like three times. I think they say that on My Favorite Murder. Do they say, oh man, well yeah. I can't say that then. I'm, st- I'm stealing from some other show. Well, you, haven't, you didn't even know. I didn't even so know. So great minds think alike. Anyways. Our story this week is our uh, tr- beginning of our trip to South Africa, yeah. which is going to kind of start off um, with why we went to South Africa in the first place. <laughs> so, um, long story short, I think I'm, we might have talked about it anyways. Briefly, there was yeah. this cruise that was supposed to happen last year um, out of South Africa, mm-hmm. and it was to this island called, or well, it's the Prince Edward Islands, yes. um, and one specific island called Marion Island that is about halfway between between South Africa and Antarctica. Mm-hmm. And it's this island that nobody goes to except for like researchers and they have a weather station there but like not much else and it is a bird haven because you know it doesn't get a whole lot of people out there. And so anyways, I found out about this this trip after it had been rescheduled for this year. Yes. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is a once in a lifetime thing. Eric, we are getting on that boat." And so waited and waited and waited, watched the Facebook obsessively. They, they ported all the old cabins over to the new ship for the new date. They were like, okay, any day now, like, give us give us another week and we'll be finished porting all the everyone over and then we'll open up slots. And then they open up slots. And there were no cabins available. It was blocked. And I was beside myself and I, I, I didn't know what to do. And then a week later they said, okay, well, all those slots were filled, but uh, we've got a new batch. They're open again and they're gone. Yeah. So I think a lot of the trouble might have been that they that it was on MSC South Africa and like our is when we type it in it's mscruises.com you yeah, know and it's instead not, of .co.za Yeah exactly. Yeah. So anyways, the only way I could figure out getting on the ship was to book a trip with Rock Jumper that was one week on land and then one week on, on the, the ship. And so we booked that because <laughs> that got me on the boat. 
It's whatever whatever it takes to get on the boat. And they had a handful of like pre trips. Um, the one we picked was to KwaZulu Natal, yeah. which is like on the eastern side. Yeah, it's, it's one of the provinces on the northeastern side of uh, South Africa. And then it also went to uh, Lesotho, the country within a country. And you know, being the lister that I am, I like to add countries as well to my uh, <laughs> to my passport. Okay, so we had the tour scheduled and everything, mm -hmm. and we had been anticipating it since about February, I think is when we actually ended up booking it. Yeah. And that's a long time for us to plan a trip. <laughs> yeah, we, that's definitely, it was probably double the amount of time, lead time that we have on a trip typically. Yeah. At least. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, needless to say, we were very excited to, to get going. Yeah. So this is times of COVID, and getting we you have to get a we had to get a COVID test um seventy two hours prior to departure, and so we had I, I went ahead and it's like okay I know exactly what we're gonna do last time we traveled we t talked to County Health and they they were offering free tests for anyone for any reason, and they stopped um they stopped at the beginning of January so we couldn't do that I contacted all the pharmacies around us I contacted all the urgent cares around us all of them were like oh we're only offering post exposure tests yeah so we could not get one prior to travel and so we found that walgreens on the north side of our county yes. so our county is really rural and so that's why it was so difficult for us to to find tests like portland had plenty of oh, places pl plenty of things if you went up to went up into the big metro area but yeah. out where we're at that's an hour and a half away so yeah it's Exactly. And so, um, we, Walgreens had a test for us. It was 72 hour test. They were like, yes, it will be back in 72 hours. So we were like, okay, we're going to do that. And so we, we did the 72 hour test. It was like 62 hours before our flight left mm -hmm. and we, you know, went up and swabbed and then we were supposed to just like sit and wait and watch as they received the the test at the lab and then processed it yeah because they didn't process the tests at walgreens they sent it to a lab in tennessee Indiana, tennessee yeah, yeah across the country all, all the way over to the midwest and like we were just waiting for the lab to receive the results waiting and then there was a big waiting. storm yeah so they didn't receive the results for a long time and we were panicking yeah. and eric had it me convinced that we weren't going to go anyways because one of us is probably going to test positive and so i said one thing off offhanded just kind of like well you need to know you can't do that yeah i know <laughs> So I made a mistake. I said, "Well, I mean, well, one of us is probably positive." Or so, I, I can't remember exactly what I said the phrasing, but it was it was enough that it convinced Hannah that we were both positive and we were both going to die before we could even fly. Pretty much. So Saturday morning was the day our flight left. Thursday evening we still hadn't got the test. Yeah. So we were like, "Okay, we have like 24 hours to do this," and mm -hmm. so we ended up going to like Friday morning. We left our house at 6:30 to get to an eight o'clock appointment at an urgent care clinic in Portland. Pay an, ex an obscene amount of money. Well, so it was like, I, from what I he remember, it was the same amount that uh, Peter and Don in Canada had to pay for theirs to go to Uganda. It but was, we hadn't had to pay for any. But we hadn't had, yeah, we, we, that was our first time having to pay for a COVID test in the States. Yeah, exactly. So that, that was what makes me feel like that. Yeah, um, it was expensive. But, I mean... For the cost of the trip, it was like, well, it's not like we're not going to go, yeah, you no, know. That, so, that, all that money's gone if we don't get a test. So, yeah. So a we hundred dollars more. went to this clinic in Portland, which is actually a very nice clinic. Oh, it was I very thought. nice, yeah. Um, had the results within like an hour. Mm -hmm. and Both negative. Yep. And Both then ready to fly. <laughs> we, were, we were good to go. Um, we had the rest of the day in Portland. 
uh, before we flew out, and we realized we forgot a ton of stuff. Yes, because of the whole panic to to get uh, out of here for of the of the COVID uh, test, and like we're not gonna, it's not gonna matter. It's on and on and on and on. We ended up doing a really poor job packing stuff. So we were missing some clothes. We were missing uh, our computer charger. We were missing a flash drive or the um, hard drive. drive. Um, and our field guide that we and our field guide, um, like lots of different things that would have made things more comfortable, would have made things uh, easier for travel that we normally bring, and we just completely forgot. And we, and we had just traveled two months before, so we were like, okay, these are like the four or five more things that we should pack, th- some of the yeah. things we should remove. So we already we had a plan, but it it all went out the window as soon as it was like. Oh, we have to test. So we're like just throwing things in bags and just like going out of the door. And we just, we didn't, we, we, we were comfortable. We had enough stuff, but it was like, things could have been better. (laughs) Okay. Well, we were able to purchase some things that we needed a new computer charger anyways and a hard drive. And, you know, I was a little bummed that I didn't have some of my pants that I really liked, but whatever. Mm -hmm. Got to the airport early, got on the flight you know, every single hitch along the way, I was like, okay, this is where it's going to fall apart. This is where it's going <laughs> to fall apart. Um, and we also, the other thing was that I screwed up booking flights. And we, which we'll get to in a minute, but we had to, when we got to Johannesburg, we flew into one airport and had to fly out of a different airport. Yeah, so Johannesburg has two airports. Uh, there's uh, I didn't the O... Uh, Tam- oh, Tambo. Uh, yeah. Um, Tam- the Tambo Airport and the Lanceria Airport. They're about 45 minutes apart driving. Um, they're probably, it's probably like a, a one minute flight. Okay. Well, anyways, <laughs> so we fly out from Atlanta or we fly from Portland to Atlanta, um, had a short layover in Atlanta and mm-hmm. then the 16 hour long haul that is the longest flight that Delta offers to Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. And when we get to Johannesburg, that's where we have to, ch- you know, panic and get to the other airport in time. Yeah. And fortunately we had about four hours and nice long layover, a nice medium length layover. Yeah. Um, so we got out of the airport, grabbed a taxi and then headed off to the other airport while I'm like constantly looking at my phone. Like, are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? We made it. Like with two hours to spare. Yeah, lots and lots of time. We had we had lots of time to sit in the Lanceria Airport. But you know, we got a, a great view of Johannesburg, like driving through. That was we had a couple lifers on the drive because yeah. it was in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um and then we also had a very fun experience about bribery. Yeah, so um it's and we and we talked to a fair number of South Africans after this happened to us, and it doesn't sound like it's the typical experience anyways, but it was an experience. Um we were taking the taxi, like I said, about forty five minutes uh from one airport to the other. Um, cruising along, doing just fine, and then maybe, like, one mile or less from the Lanceria Airport, we get pulled over. The, um, the traffic police are out in the middle of the street, they're flagging X percent of people over to check whatever they want to check with them. Um, our, our driver pulls over, and he's, like, already not in a good mood because he's gonna get pulled over while he's got a fare going, and... And because the guy at the terminal told us a different price than yeah. that guy wanted to charge. Yeah, they, we we so we determined a price, whatever. I can't remember how much it was, but we determined this price, and then we get but into the taxi. With the, but with the like guy that works for the taxi company, not mm-hmm. the taxi driver. Yeah, not the taxi driver. Yeah, the the person who's arranging the taxis at the airport. Um, we we settle on a price, and we and he's like, okay. That's a perfect price, and we thought that was a taxi driver anyways. So then we walk up, and he hands us off to a driver and tells the driver, this is the price they're paying. 
and then he walks away and it's like oh what the heck i thought okay whatever but then we get in the thing and then like two minutes into the drive he's like so who told you that price and he's like very <laughs> accusatory and it's like hey we negotiated to that price with the guy and we thought he was the driver so now also, he handed you off to he handed us off to you also when i googled all this it said it should be three to four hundred rand for that mm-hmm trip and their price was like 600 rand yeah. so it's like it was way yeah. over what i thought we should have paid anyways yeah the, the price the prices either were really outdated online or we were trying they were trying to screw us either way i don't i mean it, it was different than we were expecting they she looked at a piece of paper and that was the price on the piece of paper so that made me think like okay it's it's a standard rate the information that i had must have been old must have been outdated yeah. so yeah but then the taxi driver wanted to charge us like 100 more rand yeah. than you, what then, we then agreed what the, on well you, yeah you wanted to charge more than what the paper said even yeah so it was like okay i don't know what's going on but you gotta deal with that yourself man yeah but we, we ended up paying what we agreed to so it was and, and then we tipped him so that it basically came back up to what he wanted anyways yeah um but we got we, so we got pulled over right before the airport and the um traffic police came up and they they talked to him for a little bit um they i guess um they they pulled him out of the car and they were talking behind the car and then they then they made him go all the way back to their cars. Um, and then they he came back and grabbed some paperwork and then went back to them. And then when he came back to us, he he relayed the story that they told him um, the speed limit here was 80 yeah. um, kilometers. And he, they told him he was going 81. And he argued with him. No, I wasn't going 81. I was going, I was going less than 80. And they were like, oh, okay. Well, then you must have been going 91. And he's like, no, no, I wasn't. They were like, oh, well, you must have been going 101 then. And so then they just kept upping the speed that he was going and they were, I guess they were fishing for a bribe. Well, and he like tried to bribe him, but he didn't have enough money. Yeah. They, they wanted more money than what he had cash on him. And so he was like, you know what? Just, just give me a ticket. And so then they ended up giving him a ticket, um, for 81 in an 80. <laughs> and cause like he, he showed us the paperwork. It's 81 in an 80. It's like 10 Rand or something. I, I have no <laughs> idea what the, what the ticket price was. I didn't, I didn't see that part. I just saw it cause he like pointed at the, at the violation, but, uh. It was like, okay, well, that's weird. And so he, he was like, yeah, they're just fishing for a bribe because they see people coming into the airport and people are in a hurry and they'll just pay the bribe rather than spend the time to get a ticket because you're yeah. in a hurry to get on get on your airplane. Sure. Um, so that was that was exciting. It was fun. That was different. Um, <laughs> got to Lancera Airport. It was an absolutely tiny airport. Yeah, very small. Um, I mean, there was like seven gates at it, you know, Something one like that, yeah. terminal. And... Um, yeah, so that that was interesting. There was this huge rain... Like, we had really good birding at it. You know, we had sacred ibis. We had African pied starling because we could sit, like, we were on the the ground. Yeah, we are on the know? on the ground level facing out towards the, where they load up on the planes, um, the, the terminals. Yeah. And then just past that was the runway and then like nature. Fields. Yeah. And uh, that was the wild thing is that we saw this rainstorm come in, mm-hmm. like off in the distance. And then it started coming at us and it was just these big black clouds and then huge thunderstorm rainstorm. Huge. It caused the whole airport to shut down for like 20, 30 minutes. Our mm-hmm. flight was delayed by a ton because of luckily, this rainstorm. Luckily it was our... Our last leg of the last flight, so it was like, okay, well, it's not a big, it's not like we're missing anything yeah, exactly. by, by this being delayed. So, got on the plane, got to the, to Durban, mm-hmm. got it, had a taxi from the Durban airport to the hotel we were staying at, um, which was a, a Marriott that was 
really nice. Yeah. Um, it only had hot water in the shower, which was weird. Only so. hot water. Very, very hot water. <laughs> Extremely hot water. Um, but it was right in the area called Durban Rocks, uh, which is, you know, or uh, Umlaga Rocks. Like rocks. That, yeah. yeah, one of those things. Um, and it was right next to the, the ocean. So it was absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. And we were able to just walk down to the ocean the next morning before we had to meet our group. Yeah, so we did that. We walked down there. There's a lighthouse. There was kelp gulls. There was red wing and starlings. There was all sorts of red faced sticola. Like mm-hmm. all sorts of really cool stuff. There were a bunch of them were either lifers or near lifers because we had just seen them the day before. Um, right there, like two blocks from the hotel. Had a great time looking at these things. Took a handful of. Um, I I don't think I actually took any pictures. I, mean, I don't think you brought your. Camera. No, I didn't bring my camera because I didn't. I we took some phone pictures, <laughs> selfies of us in front <laughs> of a lighthouse. Uh, but that was it. We um, we hurried up and got back to the hotel in time for us to head up to meet up with the group. Which also provided a little confusion uh, because initially the information said that we were supposed to meet at 9 o'clock at the airport. Mm-hmm. So we were all set to do that. And then like the night before we got an email that said like 9.30. 10, at 10 p.m. 9.30 at a different hotel. So we were like, which is it? <laughs> yeah, so it was it was very confusing. Where, where are we actually supposed to meet? Because I don't want to have to pay a taxi ride all the way back to the airport. Because the airport was pretty far away. It was yeah. it was like 30 minutes yeah. to, to get back to the airport. So I was like, I don't want to pay a taxi all the way back to the airport if I only have to go like five kilometers. And I guess that really kind of highlights our naivete on uh, guided trips. So we'd never been on a guided trip before. Like the first group trip that we've ever been on was our trip to Uganda. Yeah. Like two months prior. And that one was totally different because it was full of tour guides and photographers and like people... In, in the business. In the business. And so this was like a tour with civilians, yeah. I guess is the only way I can really phrase it. Yeah. Um, that we were just, you know, on the tour with a bunch of other people. And we didn't really know, like, the the ins and outs of going on a trip like this. And yeah. so we were, yeah, just, just I don't know how to, <laughs> to phrase it other than, like, we were really naive about how it all works. Um, but yeah, so we, they, we, we ended up getting it confirmed that yes, we are only going to the hotel that's just a couple kilometers away. So we, uh, got a taxi over there. It took like two minutes to take the taxi over. Um, cause it was like straight up this hill. We weren't going to carry all of our luggage up, yeah. up that hill. Um, <clears throat> went up there, uh, met up the group, um, met, uh, met the tour guide, met the rest of the rest of the crowd, kind of did all of our introductions and we got on the road, headed to our first, uh, first birding stop. So the first birding day was really kind of a, a transfer to our destination for the night and I guess with that's birding true, yeah, along yeah. the way. Um, so we didn't really hit any, you know, particular hot spots that were obvious hot spots like parks or anything like that. Um, we were going on back roads and trying to find species like blue swallow, which mm-hmm. is a specialty species in that area that Greg really wanted us to get. Oh yeah. Yeah. And we, so we, we drove up, we were kind of driving up and down. Um, I would, if, if I was in Oregon, I'd call them logging roads. If, yeah. Uh, or back roads. They're like back roads. They're, they're farm just roads. Farm roads. They were just kind of up in the hills, like just out there, all gravel, just kind of driving around. It was, it was really interesting areas cause the, um, the topography was like very, very steep hills with, uh, that's all just kind of a dry grass, um, dry grass area with these depressions that had, uh, you could tell the depressions had quite a bit of moisture in them. There was like ferns and stuff growing just in the depression, but not anywhere else in the landscape. Well, we didn't even really talk about, um, South Africa. So, yeah. Yeah. So just real quick on South Africa, 
South Africa is a very developed nation. Yes. Um, like Johannesburg and Durban, like just it's like a big city. And yeah. so when we got there, it was like, oh, this is just like being in America. Yeah. You know? So just like driving somewhere in the in the states, Canada, Mexico, something like that, except for they're driving on the left side of the road instead Basically. of the instead of the right side of the yeah, road. Yeah, and in kilometers, you know, yeah. instead of miles. Um, so that was. That was, you know, completely different from our experience in Uganda, mm-hmm. uh, which is a lot more of a rural country. Yeah. And so so we were leaving cities to go out into the country, into these these more rural areas of South Africa, which yeah. had a lot of, like, plantations, like... Uh, lots, of, lots, of eucalyp- lots of eucalyptus. Um, that they, Australian pine, too? I think it was Australian pine, yeah. The, the eucalyptus is used... It's a very hard wood that they use in mining operations to hold up... Uh, um, the tunnels and stuff like that while they're yeah. doing mining. And then the, um, the pines were used for furniture, basically. Mm-hmm. So the landscape has really changed from what it, you know, originally was. Mm-hmm. And that we, we ended up talking about that a lot on our travels um, with the, the tour group. So we really did have to go, like, into the backcountry to find a lot of these really good birds. Yeah, so it was birding in South Africa, at least in KwaZulu-Natal, was basically you had to seek out hot spots for birding or there was random like pockets of habitat that you'd that you'd come upon yeah though we would come upon on purpose because the guide, <laughs> guide knew where we were going but yeah, you sure. would you would have to come upon these pockets of habitat um as opposed to driving through plantations driving through cities driving through uh developed areas so our first really good stop you know we were looking for the blue swallow um was on this back road ended up having the the Nices uh, Turaco, the... Um, Fork-tailed Drongo, yeah. um, Wailing Cysticola, you know, back to the Cysticolas. Lots of Cysticolas. <laughs> uh, red-collared Widow Bird, that was a really good bird. Yeah, super we, cool looking. Yeah. Um, and, you know, no, uh, no blue swallow on that way. But then on the next stop, on the top of this mountain, mm-hmm. um, that reminded me of kind of like wine country in Oregon. Oh, definitely, yeah. De- definitely like... Um, those hills in Dundee Valley. and yeah, yeah, that that whole that whole middle of Oregon sort of thing. Um, that was a really good spot. We had alpine swift, jackal buzzard, piping cysticla, wing snapping cysticla, yeah. uh, and then that was where we got the blue swallow. Yeah, so um, like I said, we're looking for these birds. They nest in these depressions that are moister depressions than the surrounding dry grassland area. Mm-hmm. And these these hills, and they'd be like, um, I, I think he called them sinkholes. I yeah. don't know if they actually were sinkholes, he but was they're calling them sinkholes. Yeah, they um, they sunk down just a little bit, and their water collects there, and there's ferns growing, so you can tell that it's a different different type of um, fauna or different type of flora is there, so it attracts the swallows, and so they nest in that area. But then it was also there was a burn that was right next to it, somebody yes. burning in a field, and that was attracting the swallows because of the because of all the insects, it, yeah. exactly. Super cool. Yeah, so we got the blue swallow, so that was really exciting, and then uh, we headed. We were still heading towards our final destination for the night, mm-hmm. um, which was the the like foothills of the Drexenberg Mountains. Yes. Um, and along the way, we we so Eric and I stopped at like before we we went on the tour. They said that lunch wasn't included, and so we like stopped at this little store called the Pick and Pay. Yeah, which the Pick and Pay, which is like a gro- small grocery store for the area, which was kind of fun. Um, but it turned out that we had lunch provided for us. Yeah, and we stopped at this really weird grocery store to get it. Yeah. I took some pictures of, there was a spice rack, um, or a, a spices, and they had probably all the different uh, curry spices. I think there was like 30, 
or 40 spices in this giant bar that was super cool, giant piles of spices. It was it's really interesting. I wish I wish I would have had a bucket to bring some spices home. <laughs> so uh, curry <laughs> is a huge in KwaZulu Natal, yeah, which the, the we East, never ended up having. Yeah, the eastern portion of uh, South Africa has has quite a bit of Indian influence. Um, so there's lots and lots of people came from uh, from India down there for uh, farming and lot, lots of lots of other reasons that they came down there um, historically because of the um, the British influence. They they love curry. There's there's a whole a whole connection, cultural connection to that region of, uh, of South Africa. So lots of curry, lots and lots of curry everywhere. Um, and so it was super, super cool that we saw that. I, I was like, I have to get a picture of this. There was the, the mother-in-law spice. It was like the, the hottest, uh, curry spice they have. And <laughs> My mom was, wouldn't eat that. It was very, very hot. Um, so we ended up all getting, uh, like hand pies. Like I got like a pepper steak pie. Mm-hmm. That was pretty good. Pretty, pretty good pies. Yeah. Uh, and then we kept on going yeah. and Ma- making our way to the final stop for the day. Um, h- handful of stops in between, um, saw a couple things, Southern fiscal on the wire, stuff like that. Uh, but we were headed, um, our objective just before sunset was to find a species of parrot that's extremely endangered, um, at the Marutswas forest, which is just kind of, kind of out there in a village. That was yeah, that was kind of an interesting spot because we our bus just like drove until it couldn't drive any further into this field where it was too muddy. Yeah. And so we got out and hiked up to the the headquarters of this forest that um was a really nice like ranger station, but at one point in time. At one point in time, but then the local community for whatever reason they objected to it. It's, so... It sounded like they wanted to hunt bushmeat. And they wanted to pr- to provide for themselves with that, and so instead of like working with the um, like in Uganda with the in, gorillas, yeah, instead of working with the animals in the in the forest to then get tours into the area, they decided poaching is more important, and the um, the specific community in that area um, burnt down the ranger yeah. ranger uh, thing and scared scared away all the rangers, and so then they could just do whatever they wanted in the forest. Yeah, so that that's really disappointing, um, but I mean everybody. I guess, I, 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 yeah, it's, it's a nuanced situation because these people are poor. They don't, they don't have the means to have food for themselves. So this is the way they're getting food for themselves. And it's, it's kind of, it's complicated. Yeah. It's just, and it's, I'm I'm not happy about it. They built a nice ranger station that was burned down. So, so it's, it's all, it's all gone. The place is still open. We, we've still went it. We, we walked the trails, which the trails are in pretty bad disrepair. Mm -hmm. Um, but the the birds are still there. We, st- yeah. we still we still got African uh, paradise flycatchers. We had twenty eight different species. Yeah. We had turacos. We had cuckoos. Um, there are a couple buzzards flying around. Cuckoo shrikes, uh, baddis, the Cape baddis. Yeah, the Cape baddis. Lots. We had lots of Cape baddis this whole trip, which. Cape Battis looks super cool. Yeah. And we saw tons of them. So we got out to like a turnaround point and, you know, we had woodpeckers up in the trees and mm-hmm. everything was pretty high. So that was a little difficult for, for was, some folks to it was, see. It was heavy forest birding. So there, yeah, it was difficult for um, some of the newer birders to, to get on things. Yeah. And then uh, we headed back because it was getting close to, to sunset. And that was the goal was to be there at sunset to look at this one tree, tree. <laughs> that was there um right near the for- the ranger station because that's where the cape parrots come in to to roost yeah so it's the, the staging. Cape, staging before roosting yeah. yeah so the um these parrots act just like just like all other parrots they have they have a routine they do every day just like in um, south texas all the red crown parrots they go to this specific neighborhood so it's these specific range of a few blocks 
to hang out on the wires for 45 minutes, half hour, 45 minutes before the sun goes down, and then they disappear and go quiet. Um, these Cape parrots were no different. They right right at sunset, they all fly in together. They the whole group of them comes together, hangs out on this tree, and then the sun finishes going down, and then they go quiet and disappear. So we were there, um, had the Cape parrots fly in, and there they got lot, they they were a little bit later than than we were hoping because the light was a little bit dark, dimmer, but yeah. uh, still got great looks at them. They were a, a real dark colored parrot, and they were loud sounded just like parrots <laughs> yeah and you know that whole forest walk although it was kind of difficult because we had to go underneath a lot of um down trees yeah climbing under down trees and over things it and... was really pretty oh yeah and i almost wish you and i would have just had time to ourselves to be able to walk through it oh yeah because you know when you're with a group you're on a group schedule and mm -hmm. so you kind of have to give and take a little bit yeah um but oh. yeah, I could have spent a couple hours there. Oh, for sure. So this this stop is actually the stop that reminded me that uh, not everyone uses the same taxonomic authority. Um, the down down there they use IOC, um, and we use eBird, which uh, follows uh, Clement's um, mm -hmm. taxonomy. So um, things like uh, um, what we refer to in in Clement's as uh, Romerian dove yeah. is referred to as African olive pigeon um, down there. So there's there was that was kind of the learning experience that started off the whole time as scientific names became extremely important from then on <laughs> as i they he would say oh we're hearing this bird and then i'd look it up and be like well that bird doesn't exist so obviously i need the scientific name for this bird so i can figure out what we're looking at so i can f find a picture of it and correlate the sound of the picture and see the bird so that ended up being kind of a frustration for eric throughout the thing and probably <laughs> for our guide as well as he had to keep telling eric like it's this, or, you know, we had to look it up and, and compare. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, we got the parrots, got back to the, the bus, and headed off to our destination for the night, which was Carmichael Farms. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, it's right near the base of the Draxenberg Mountain Range. Um, had a lovely dinner. Actually met Adam Riley, who's the owner of Rock Jumper, mm -hmm. the company we were with, um, who was there guiding someone else. And it was a really interesting hotel it, or a guest house. I think all the places we stayed were considered guest houses. Yeah. Um, but it was a working farm that they had turned some of the, well, we stayed in the stables that had been turned into rooms. Yeah. I don't know where everybody else, what. Yeah, I don't know what accommodations the rest of them had, but, but we were in, we were in an old stable. Yeah. So that was. Which, really... which is still comfortable. They made, they made it comfortable. They made it. To, oh, definitely. They made, they made it a room. Yeah. It wasn't like there was hay on the floor still. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, had the evening and then got up early the next morning to head on to our my most excited part of the trip. Yeah, your favorite part, taking the land cruiser up the, yes. <laughs> the road slash non-road into Lesotho. Yes. Up Sani Pass. So Sani Pass is... I feel like we've been to like many places called Sani. I, yeah, I feel like that too, yeah. Um, but Sani Pass, the road is not really a road. It, no. It's, I, I believe it was hand dug in the 1954s? 1954, 60s? I think 50s? they said, okay. yes. Um, they, they hand dug it, um, and it's not, it's dug is all it is. There's no paving, there's really not any gravel added to it, it's just kind of whatever rocks were there that okay, just kind of flattened them out. You're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> So, got up, got in the Land Cruisers. We had two different vehicles for the eight of us. Yes. And then we had a couple guides with us um, who were local guides, Stuart. And then our driver um, mm -hmm. was with us as well. And so, we headed off on a very nice road for the 
the part that oh, was this, in South Africa. Yeah, the part that was in South Africa was very, very nice. So we wound around through the foothills up to the top yeah. um, for a while. It's a it's a pretty long road up into there. Um, but just beautiful scenery along the way. It's mm-hmm. just this gorgeous, dramatic valleys oh, and yeah. on, on a very nice road that's in South Africa. That's true. It was very, very nice for a while. That And the scenes were great. As, as we're slowly climbing these hills, we're going past other guest houses we stopped at a couple of different uh, other lodges that uh, had like lakes at them and stuff like that, to, or ponds, to try to get a couple kingfishers and stuff like that on the way up the hill. Um, then the habitat started to change a little bit. We well, got... before then, I mean, we had Bachmacary, which was oh, a Bach- fun Bachmacary. one. That's and, a fun word to say. Yeah, um, Cape Rock Thrush, Cape Weaver, uh, Common Waxbill, Cape Grassbird. So a lot of uh, really good species um, just on the way up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just winding up, like Eric was saying, the habitat started to change. And, uh, you the, know, we the, got into... The proteas start to... Uh start being more and more numerous as we get a little bit higher in elevation. And that's, um, we were seeing, uh, sugar birds, which were an interesting species that are up there. And, uh, it's it's kind of like a hummingbird slash thrasher slash sunbird. And this is kind of where we have a difficult conversation about group, group dynamics, group dynamics. So there were seven individuals on the tour. Yeah. And, you know, two of us and then five others. And there was a particular individual that made life difficult. For everyone. Yes. Guide and participant. Yes. Who wanted specific looks at certain species and was unhappy with the views they got of certain birds. And generally every single view was a bad view. Yes. And that made it a very difficult and awkward situation for the group. And we also saw the guide get screamed at on this hill. It, so, it was a full yelling kind of, it kind was, of a baby. It was a tantrum. Like, yeah. About how he's not seeing good enough views of the birds that are standing right in front of us. And we're all looking at with the naked eye. And this was day two. Yeah. So it was... It was intense for a few minutes. It was extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. And I I just, at that point, it was like, is this happened on every tour? Yeah. I think Eric messaged our group from Uganda and was like, does this happen a lot? <laughs> 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 because yeah, so, they, you know, a lot of them are tour guides. And, and, and we really didn't even see the whole blowout. We saw the first bit of it, and then I guess it got worse, because he was riding with our main guide in another vehicle, and I guess it was even worse in that other vehicle as soon as they all got into that vehicle, and so our guide ended up just coming back to us and hanging out in our vehicle for the rest of the rest of the day, because it was, apparently it was a pretty significant blowout in the vehicle after there was already a big blowout on the road, outside. Yeah. So, um, that kind of set the tone for the rest of the trip. Yeah. <laughs> kid, so, kid gloves had to be on for participants and for the guide. Yeah. For this particular individual. Uh, so we got to a point, uh, like this overlook and had breakfast, mm-hmm. a packed breakfast, uh, which was really good from the hotel. And, um, at that point we'd seen some cysticolas right there at that spot, uh, had the sugar bird. Had the stone chats that were having breakfast with us. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so we were, we felt like we were seeing really good birds and awesome looks at awesome birds. Yeah. And then we got to the ranger station, which was where we had to have an antigen test. Yes. The the border check station. Sorry. The border check. Yeah. It wasn't the ranger station yet. And, uh, so we, we did that, you know, waited the 15 minutes for it to come back. 
All of us were negative, fortunately. Yep. All, all negative, and we're sitting there looking at the sign that says, four-wheel drive required. <laughs> and we were like, well, I mean, we have lots of signs in Oregon. They're like, oh, chains required, or four. sometimes it'll say four-wheel drive required, but, like, they meant it for this road. Yeah. This was... This was a four-wheel drive required road. Um, no questions asked. Like, it's... Like, we had river crossings. It is not... It's not a road for the meek. It's like a five-mile road that's mostly switchbacks. Mm -hmm. And it takes about an hour and a half because of how slow you have to go to traverse up this this mountainside. Yeah, it's, it was wild. If, if you see the... If you've seen, like, in the States, this is a, a not super common, but the, um, the rock crawling. The yeah. guys that take their Jeeps and their, uh, their Broncos and stuff, like, up vertical hills. They aren't even hills. They're just, like, climbing rocks with their Jeeps. This is what we were doing, but in a... Uh, like, trying to go to a destination, not just like, oh, I have to climb over this thing. It's like, no, I'm trying to get somewhere, and yeah. this is the only way to get to there. Yeah. So that was fun. That was really <laughs> exciting. <laughs> that was super, super cool. That that by itself was an experience, um, and we were on our way up to the actual border with Lazutu, which uh, I guess the ridge line is the border there. So as soon as we get to the top of the ridge line, that's the that's the actual border, and then they have a border check station for Lizutu right there at the at the ridge line. Yeah, so we did that, got another stamp in the passport, and then headed to the highest pub in Africa. The highest pub in Africa, right because, on the border with uh, between the two countries. Because they have a bathroom, but yes. also because they have the Drexenberg uh, rock jumper. Yes, so I guess we were supposed to hopefully had seen them on the way up the hill, but we we didn't. It was kind of foggy. It was kind of kind of thick. Um, but once we got to the bar, they were right there, all around the bar. We had tons and tons of great views, um, got a bunch of pictures, just watched, watched these really interesting-looking um, birds, the Drakenberg rock rock jumpers, just, like, hanging out. Yeah, and also sentinel rock thrushes. Um, Malachite sunbird. Cape robin chat. Cape bunting. Cape sparrow. Cape crow. <laughs> yeah, lots and lots of cape things. It's a very very common name uh, in, in the area, calling it a cape something. Yeah. But, you know, that, that lodge, the Sawney Mountain Lodge, I would totally stay there. It looks like a really cool place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was way out there. And they had a there. restaurant. They had a restaurant and, and guest rooms. So it's, I, if, if, we were, if we were on our own, I would probably, I would suggest booking that place. Yeah, it definitely. Seemed, it seemed really cool. But I don't know how to get up. I would not feel comfortable with either of us driving up that mountain. So I'd, I'd feel comfortable driving it if we had if we had an all-wheel drive. But okay. the um, you can get there if you come from the west. If you drive through Lizutu, um from the other direction, you can get to that. There was there was a couple that had just like a regular SUV, like a two-wheel drive SUV that they drove to there from the Lizutu side, um, drove to the top of the pass. Yeah, but that Sony Pass is an experience, so. <laughs> yeah. Kind of have to do that yeah. too. You, you you could go around a way that you don't have to go up the pass, but the pass was it was it was exciting. So from there, uh, we continued on the one road uh, through Lazutu, and we were surrounded by high elevation species, dramatic mountain tops, and a scrubland that really reminded us of the Parama in Ecuador, yeah, like the, the high elevation Antisana that we went to. Yeah, su super super cool habitat. Um, the I, at this point, we we're high enough that the um, the proteas were gone. It was basically just the scrub stuff. Mm -hmm. So super, super cool looking. Surprisingly, there's like I guess not surprisingly because every habitat type has lots of species that, that specialize in it. But lots of lots of species that were yeah. up there. There were there was the the bald ibis. There was lots of pipits and larks and ground woodpeckers. Tons of ground woodpeckers. And we had hawks flying. Um, 
raptors flying over. Um, we even, I think we even had a step eagle while we were up there. Yeah, we did. Um, so lots of really cool stuff and awesome habitat. Big giant boulders, rocky stuff, <laughs> and sheep herders. Yeah, so that was pretty much the only, I mean, it was all natural up there. Like, there was very little infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that was up there were these sheep herders and their herds of sheep. And there were temporary-ish brick structures throughout the landscape that, you know, were all kind of in different states of disrepair. Yeah. And the anytime we'd stop, there would be sheep herders there, like, watching us, seeing what we were doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, they, they looked like they probably just walked for miles, you know. Know, just like moving the sheep from one place to another. Wander. I guess they would. They um, the houses are permanent buildings, but temporary residences for yeah. any of the people. So they they move from they follow the sheep herd and then they just carry all their stuff on their back and then wherever the sheep stop for the night, whichever hut is closest, that's they just stay in that one and then they move on. And there's they, it, it sounded like it was a very nomadic lifestyle for these uh, for these this whole group of people that live way up in the in the mountain range. In the Black Mountains, I think, is what they are on, on that side of the of the ridge. I'm not sure. I, I, that's what, I think that's what it said on the eBird. Like, it called it Black Mountains. So Oh, you're right. It does. It, it, it may be... eBird may be completely wrong with what it's called, but that's... It's just way up there. Yeah. So, the species that we were seeing up there were very, like, specialized. Like, we were seeing prinias and rock martens and robin chats, but they're all more, like, high elevations yeah. species. H high elevation, low scrub sort of species that uh not not a lot of things perching up high and singing and flying around but it's all stuff staying close to the ground conserving energy mm -hmm. um this is a it's it's a it's it's a tough lifestyle living at high elevation at with very little vegetation and we have to give a shout out to the local guy that we have there Stuart. yes um he's lifelong birder i think he, they said they, he was in his 60s i think he's a lifelong mountain goat too <laughs> he's uh like five six of average build but this man he would just like run up a mountainside and it was incredible to watch him move along. It was like watching like an Olympic gymnast. It was. Like move, moving around. Like the, there there was some, he was like, oh, hey, I'm going to go uh, check out the other side of this. I think I hear something calling. And he would walk up and there would be a brick, that would, or a, a brick, a rock, like a big boulder that was like as, basically it would be up to my chest. And yeah. he's, he's shorter than me, so it's probably up to his shoulders or so. <laughs> and... He would just like put his hands on it and just whoop, hop hop right on top of it. It was incredible. And then the next one would be there, and he'd hop to the next one, hop to the next. He'd hop up like three or four levels, and then just kind of wander along and just like walk like a mountain goat right through all of this stuff. And he'd be like, "Oh, I, I it's it's right over here. I see it." And then he would he'd try to get us on it from where we're at, and it's like there's no way half of the people we were with were going to get up there. No. But he he'd get a, he'd get on it and then he would keep track of it and then eventually it would fly down where we'd be able to get to it and then it would fly down and we'd we'd all mostly all get onto it. So it was it was incredible watching him. Oh, so yeah. if you're ever, you know, wanna go up Sonny Pass Higher Stewart, yeah. he is incredible, and he has his own vehicle to traverse that crazy mountainside. Yeah. So he had like it looked like a I can't, I don't remember exactly what it was I didn't look that carefully at it but it was like a Toyota 4Runner yeah like it wasn't like it was like a heavy duty hardcore vehicle it was it had it had uh, had some good ground clearance on it like I said Toyota 4Runner st sort of style we were we were in a Toyota Land Cruiser um kind of like a Land Rover sort of thing big giant like what you see in an African safari that's mm -hmm. what we were driving in and I felt safe like that's the vehicle you want to be in for that road but he did just fine in that little SUV thing yeah. So. It's really interesting. So after birding for most most of the day um, up there, 
out in the Paramo, out in this habitat that's not Paramo, it's Lake Paramo. Yeah. Um, we ended up going back to the to the um, the highest bar in Africa to have have a beer to celebrate uh, rock jumpers and bald ibis and step eagle and all the all the cool stuff we saw. And I got some money from Lizutu to add to my money collection, yes. so I'm very excited about it's one, that. One, one of the more important things: <laughs> a, a, a stamp in the passport, a checklist in a country, and a um, bit of local currency. Yeah, a checklist in a country that's so small it probably doesn't show up on eBird. It, it shows up if you look on the de- desktop on your phone. It doesn't show up. So we headed back down the mountainside. Um, that took you know a while and. I'm glad we had beers to steady our nerves from the the <laughs> terrifying drive. Um, headed back to uh, the Carmichael Farms for the night, and yeah. Uh, yeah, kind of headed on our way after that. Yeah, so it, I think this episode is going to be a little bit longer than uh, we anticipated. Um, we did a lot of stuff. We we didn't we wanted to try to keep it to one episode about the land and one episode about the ocean. Yeah. So um, so if you want to bear with us, we'll kind of. Um, Try to try to speed it up a bit, but it's going to be a little bit longer an episode. Okay, so um, <laughs> we we stopped at some like I mean over the next three or four days we stopped at Karkloof, uh, which is a huge spot that people you know talk about going to. Oh, yeah. It you know was this roadway that like overlooked a forest and you know kind of called for a couple things there, mm-hmm. turcos and different things. Um, and then there was a botanic garden that was part the of it The botanic garden was pretty cool. We got, um, a really cool ground robin. Yeah. Um, ground scrub robin thing. Thrush. Ground thrush. There yeah. We, there, there we go. That's woodpecker. the words. Woodpecker. Woodpecker. S- some super cool things. Um. We saw Howick Falls, which was yeah. gorgeous. One, one, one of the tallest uh, waterfalls in South Africa. I think it's one of the tallest waterfalls in all of Africa. It's, it's a big, long, tall waterfall. Super yeah. cool. Um, and then our big last spot that we'll talk about is St. Lucia. Yes, super cool place. My my favorite part of St. Lucia is the fact that there's warning signs for hippos all over the place. <laughs> Which and it says like warning night hippos. <laughs> Everyone's okay. like whatever sure, night whatever. hippos, sure. If you say so. Um which ended up being super cool. Yeah. But anyways, we, so the day we were there, like the, the daytime, mm-hmm. um, which was a little frustrating because like we went to some spots that were closed. And yeah. so then we had to like go with plan B because of flooding in those areas. So yeah. that was, that was frustrating. Um, but we went to the, um, Iguala Iguala trail, which yep. apparently, Iguala Iguala trail, which... and that place is so loaded with mosquitoes. It's ridiculous. So loaded. It was the only place that we had mosquitoes the entire trip. Yeah. So if you bring mosquito repellent, save it for Iguala Iguala <laughs> trail because uh, you'll need it. Yeah. So that place, that was okay. I mean, it was really good birding and, but the mosquitoes it was deep, really, deep, it was deep forest birding with lots of mosquitoes. Yeah. So that was kind of. That was kind of that. <laughs> Hannah hates mosquitoes. Okay. Well, ha- mosquitoes love Hannah, and and she doesn't like them. That's nice. <laughs> so um, so we spent spent the morning in on the Guadalajara Trail, and then we went to the Isamaguiso Wetland Park. Um, you said that like a pro. Yeah, I'm I mean, impressed. I heard I heard our guide say it a thousand times. Isamaguiso. Um, it's it's a um, wetland park that is actually it's. It's seems, like a national park. It's like a national park. It seems much more prairie, like savanna prairie than wetland, but I, I guess this is that all becomes a semantics thing of what how you're referring to the ha- habitat types. But um, you're out there, lots of grasses, low low, de- low depressions with lots of water. So it's a, it a big big wide open park. It was super cool. Yeah. So along the the ride in, um, we had, you know, like cattle egrets, which zebras, <laughs> warthogs, elephants, lots oh, of species of antelopes. I was going to say the common things. <laughs> oh, the common things. Oh, I see. <laughs> uh, lots of rollers. Ton- rollers European rollers. Beaters. Yeah. Blue, blue, uh, blue eared. 
Yeah, blue cheeked. Blue cheeked bee uh, eaters and uh, European rollers. European rollers. Like all over the place. I think I probably only put like 40 or 50 on the checklist, but it was probably closer to like two or 300. Every 100 feet. Yeah, Yeah, every every other span was a roller, and then splitting the difference was a bee eater. And (laughs) then roller, and then bee eater. Roller, bee eater. Like the whole way. Tons of them. Um, so we saw elephants on the way in, which was wild because there was this whole herd of elephants and like in Uganda, like they drive around elephants, you know, and it's, I don't know, they didn't make a big deal about it, but apparently in South Africa at that park, there had been a death like two days before of an elephant that had rolled over a vehicle and somebody had died from it. So everybody that was there were just like totally freaked out about driving around elephants, which I guess is totally, you know, a valid point. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know any better because I don't have elephants where I live. But well, we have elk. We but do. But they're not elephants. Yeah. But, like, with the elephants, you just, like, stay put until the elephants are gone and then you can drive. So you might have to wait for a while as they, like, go along the road. Yeah. So, so our, our guide our, our guide was a former Kruger um, guide at one of the private lodges up in Kruger. He he would do, uh, I think he said he would do uh, walking um where they would track on foot. So yeah. he had a ton of experience and a ton of training reading animals' behavior, reading um, big cat behavior, reading elephant behavior, and understanding the environment and being safe about it. So he was giving us a whole educational lesson while we were sitting there waiting for elephants to move Yeah, about what we're watching for, watching the different, uh, how, how the elephants are looking at us, how they're looking at each other, what, what they're doing in order to determine what we can and can't do. And he was like, a lot of people don't have this training, and the person that got rolled probably didn't have this training. And so they were driving and did the wrong thing and ended up getting rolled. So, yeah. um, and then died as a result of it. So it's, you definitely have to know what you're doing. Um, hire a guide, uh, hire a driver to get you through places where there's going to be elephants yeah. um, to, to do it safely. And or just read have about a good it. Time. Or, yeah. Um, so we, yeah, birded up until we got to this campground, had a packed lunch and wandered around trying to find a Woodward's Battis. Um, like we mentioned that there was a certain individual on our trip that was very difficult. So we ended up spending like an hour it, looking for it this was, Battis. It was more than an hour. Like, I, I think most of the group was on it within like 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, but we were th- definitely there for more than an hour, like. Trying to get this trying, individual this, on it. Because this individual would not would not let it go <laughs> which you know it it is what it is um and eric and i i i feel like we're fairly experienced birders and you know we're quick to get on birds yeah and this individual and, had... well, and we and we recognize that too like not not everyone's fast yeah like it's sure it's fine if, you, if you're if you're not fast it's fine if, if you're slow it's fine if you're fast it's fine whatever but you know as you you start to bird you learn strategies to become better birders like looking how to look for birds. Mm-hmm. And this individual had a ginormous life list. But as we discussed, those were birds that were pointed out to them because yeah. they obviously lacked a lot of birding skill. Yeah. they. they Which, I mean, it, it's it, fine. It comes with time. It comes, it comes with experience. It comes with paying attention and yeah. letting people, letting people tell you things so you can learn um, yeah. as opposed to just pretending like you already know what's up. So that was kind of frustrating that, like, we all saw the bird because we were looking for it, but this individual was waiting for the guide to point it out to him. Yeah. So that was... Yeah, different birding strategies. Some some are successful, some are not successful. Yeah. 
Um, but anyways, we spent a bunch of time looking for the looking for looking at this badass. Um, and then uh, then we went went out, saw the beach, which is the whole reason that all the South Africans were driving out there is because there's a beach out at the end of this road. Yeah, beautiful beach. Beautiful beach. Tons of people having a great time. It was a Saturday, so they were all out there fishing, having picnics, and just having a great time on the weekend out of this out of this beach. Um, then we headed back and had our long encounter with elephants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they were in the middle of the road. They took up the whole road. They were having they were having a good time eating and just chowing down. So our guide was like, you know what? We're we're not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. So we just shot off the vehicle and sat waited and waited. Anyway, I think it was probably forty five minutes, maybe an hour of just probably waiting for the elephants. To- it was fun because they were just like. Sitting there eating, and having I love a good time. Elephants. And so we were having a great time just watching these elephants do their thing. And then as soon as they gave us space and kind of got mostly off the road, our guide was like, all right, they're comfortable. They're off the road enough. Let's head out. So we drove on past them and that opened the floodgates and everyone else was like, oh, I guess I can drive. <laughs> and so then everyone followed us out. So yeah, it was, so, it was good having a professional guide and professional driver to get us through that. Because, I mean, I would have, I would have been... One of the people that's like, okay, well, those people went, but I don't think it's safe yet. I'm going to keep waiting. <laughs> um, so anyways, we got back to the hotel. We were eating out at restaurants um, mm-hmm. for this tour. And so we went to a restaurant for dinner. And that night we had our night hike. Yes. Well, uh, night drive. Night drive. Which yeah. was very exciting. It was in the same place. Yeah, we went this... basically the same roads, except for we drove off the road instead of staying on the road. <laughs> that was so weird that we would just like, you know, they would see an opening. and They'd just take a right and like be out in the middle of this field. <laughs> Yeah, just out, out in the middle of nowhere. Just... I did not expect but that at it, all. But you could tell that it was, it's a path that they normally take, because you can kind of see the grass had some indi- yeah. some divots, but it was basically like out there. You're just out in the, driving out in the prairie, or in the, in the um, savannah, our, in the wetlands, whatever it is. Our guide was really good, and so much fun, and he, he got us some things like that flap neck chameleon, which was yeah. like literally like two inches big. Tiny like, little guy. Like, it was a tiny little thing. I don't know how we spotted it in the grass. And then he picked it up, and we all got to hold it. It was very... It was very fun. I enjoyed yeah. that part. It was cute. Yes. And tons and tons of square tail night jars um, on the road flying around us. Um, super exciting. And then a single very exciting fiery necked night jar. Yeah. Um, that was that was pretty cool. But the big highlight of the night, well, yes. we had hyenas, so that hyenas. was really that was, cool. That was a highlight, too. Um, but we had our last big five animal, which was yes. a white rhino. Yes. We just, like, happened upon it, and I was totally asleep because it was, like, 11 o'clock. Yeah. And the bouncing of the vehicle. Yeah, we were, I think, the like, we weren't supposed to end. I think there was a miscommunication on timing, but um, we thought we were going to be ending at, like, 10 p.m. Yeah. And 10 p.m. came and went. 11 p.m. came and went. <laughs> And we were still out there, but at like 11 p.m. is when we found the rhino, and it was just like we just we're we're driving driving around, and I think he must have spotted it, maybe. Um, and then we headed over, and then we kind of drove drove the road, drove the path around the rhino, and then headed on out of there. And it was just chowing down, completely oblivious, didn't even care about us. Just and we we were just listening to it like crunch the grass, and that was wild, super cool. Um, they also stopped for hot chocolate and coffee at one point, mm-hmm. like along the road. And I don't know if you noticed how beautiful the night sky was. It was pretty good night there. sky. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, we have a good night sky here, but it was a it was a pretty good night sky out there yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that part, St. Lucia is just a really cool town. Oh, and we saw night hippos. Night hippos. We didn't even talk about yes. that. So we'd mentioned at the beginning of St. Lucia, but yeah, on our way back into town or on our way out of town, I can't remember which, um, we just in people's front yards, hippos. Yeah. yeah. All over the place. Yeah. Just, they're eating people's grass in their front yards. They're eating the vegetation. Anyone, anything that's not fenced off, 
is getting eaten by the hippos. So St. Lucia is like a really cool place. Yeah. Um, it's like a super touristy town with like restaurants and lodges and everything mm-hmm. and lots of like, you know, vacation rentals. But it was a super cool place that I go stay at. Yeah. And it's it got hit hard by COVID and the lockdowns. There was yeah. quite a few lodges that had to close their doors, quite Maybe a few restaurants. Open one. Yeah. Um, quite, quite a few restaurants that had uh, gone out of business. Um, th- things, the people that were there were definitely resilient. The people that were left running businesses were yeah. resilient and they were, they were loved. The, like we were part of the first wave of tourists back into town. Mm-hmm. So it's of international tourists back into town. So they were very excited to see us. Both the guides that we, the local guide that we had that drove us to the park and our, the lodge owner and the restaurant owners, like everyone was so excited to see us. They were like, this is this is the beginning. This is we're coming back. Let's let's get uh, let's get tourism back going in this area because yeah. that's that's their entire livelihood. So from there, we headed back to Durban the next day. We had to get a PCR test before we got back on the flight or to get on our flight to Cape Town to get onto the main part of our trip was Flock to Marion. Yes, was the 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 cruise and the PCR test was required for the flock. So yeah, that's, exactly. That, that's that's the whole reason we had to get it. So our last whole day was kind of revolved around getting a PCR test. But then we also stopped at the Delinza Forest mm-hmm. and. We spent a long time looking for spotted ground thrush, which we eventually got, and we also had a great view of Narina Trogon. Yeah, a really nice looking bird. Super cool walkway, elevated walkway to a big tower. Yeah. Super cool. Really, really cool forest. I I would go back for sure. Yeah, but early in the morning. Early in the morning. for Yeah, definitely (laughs) a place for the morning, not for the afternoon. We were there in the afternoon, a lot less activity, but... I mean, I think I think we had twenty some species, so still still all right. But I think we, we could have been up thirty to forty species if, if we were there first thing in the morning. So real quick, um, before we finish out, we wanted to do kind of a pros and cons. Yes. Of this kind of travel, so a pro is that it is already <laughs> planned out. Um, so you don't have to to make arrangements at lodges and things like yeah, that. Generally cost inclusive. Um, we had uh, basically we had to pay for alcohol. Yeah. Everything else is basically and some covered. Of, some of the COVID testing, yeah, we had to pay for too. All of the COVID testing we had to pay for. Okay. Um. So any any of the COVID tests we had to pay for, which normally and outside of dealing with COVID, that's a non-issue because you don't do them. But uh, it, we we had to pay we had to pay for our Lizutu test. We had to pay for our PCR test. Um. And then obviously we had to pay for our test to get into the country. Yeah. Um. So those are those are pretty expensive, but um. Aside from that, um, alcohol was the only thing we had to actually pay for. Um, so our, our bill at the end was really not that significant. Yeah. Um, also, alcohol is really cheap in South Africa compared to the U.S. Compared so. to the U.S., it was way cheap. So I was like, well, we could we could drink like kings. <laughs> A drunk king. Okay. Um but you also you also get to meet some uh, some interesting birders. Um, we met uh, Kurt from Canada. Super cool guy. He's, yeah. been, he's one of the reviewers for Ontario. So he's He's really, really interesting, uh, really interesting guy from Germany, had, had tons and tons of conversations with this guy. Super, yeah. super interesting. Uh, as an example of one of the people on the tour. Uh, yeah, there, <laughs> yeah there, well, there, 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 Kurt's the first one that comes to mind. But yeah, yeah. there's there lots of other people, Malcolm, all, all sorts of other people yeah. we met on the tour that were super, super interesting and cool. Okay, so some cons. Yes. We felt like there was poor communication um, between us and the company. And it was kind of, it kind of sparked because we booked the trip, I think in February, and mm-hmm. then we didn't hear anything from Rock Jumper besides marketing emails, which were almost daily about like, much daily. book this other trip, book this other trip, um, until they wanted us to pay for the remainder of our trip, which really frustrated me because it was like six months. And, and we, we didn't know if the trip was on, if it was off, how close it was to full, 
and like there was no like oh get ready it's, it's exciting your trip's coming up three months four months like whatever none of that stuff also they wanted us to pay for it like they sent us on Friday, an email saying, hey, you need to pay the remainder of this by Monday. And the only way you can pay it is bank transfer or uh, um, there was another method, but it was basically it was, bank transfer. Well, it was like credit card, but like then it was like, I don't know, a crazy percentage. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. It was like 20% added or something like that to use a credit card. So that was super frustrating that we had to deal with that. And also the constant marketing emails um, about booking other trips when it's like, we want to be excited about this trip that we currently have. Yeah. And I, I felt like we could have gotten monthly emails saying like hey your trip is coming up you know here's a bird you might see this is who your guide is i i felt like that was really frustrating yeah and then the last minute like all of a sudden oh it's due You're, everything everything's due right now and you have uh essentially we had four hours to pay it yeah um from the time we got the email till the time it was due well we got to the bank and they were like oh we can't do this yeah because because we're on, on the west late. coast yeah we're, we're on the we're on the west coast and it has to be done by 2 p.m yeah bank transfers um because it goes east coast time 5 p.m shut shut off there, yeah. there, it was like oh so we literally had four hours to pay the bill from the time we got the bill yeah for a ton of money. Yeah. Um, the group tour politics were kind of frustrating because of difficult individuals that made the whole thing a challenge for the group leader and also the rest of the group. Yes. Which is not something that is... Doesn't always happen. Yeah. It's not always the case, but it was just weird that like the one trip we've ever done <laughs> and... The one guided, one group trip we pay for. Just and... our luck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then there was there was some poor planning. So um, we had booked this trip um, about a year in advance, but the um, we had gas station food quite a bit, fast food quite a bit, and uh, the we went to a, a number of locations that were closed. Um, and then and then backup plans, which that that happens. Backup plans have to happen. But I, I was just surprised that this trip had been a year in in the works, and we still were just stopping at gas stations for food. It was kind of kind of surprising, which uh, gas stations is fine. We, we we do that when we're on a road trip. Um, so and one pro, another pro is that yep. I we really liked our guide. Greg was a very nice guy, very personable. You know, was able to get along with everyone mm -hmm. to the best of his abilities, and a great birder. Oh yeah, he he knew all the birds. He knew um he knew a lot of the locals. He knew our driver really well. It yeah, was, there was a whole dynamic that he was able to um facilitate facilitate. There was there was it was good. The, in terms of guiding and finding birds and making the experience a good one. Yeah. So that was kind of a, a brief synopsis of our trip to South Africa. Yeah. A, a brief synopsis of a full week that uh, that we probably could have split into three episodes. And but, we got uh, 250 birds. 200, 250, yeah. Yeah. 250 species, 160 lifers, I think. Yeah. Um, good, good trip overall. Um, next, we're going on this uh, trip to Flock to Marion. So um, that'll be our... our one of our upcoming episodes. Um, but until then, we hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, even though it was a little lengthy. Even though it was a little long. Um, hope you enjoyed it and or learned something new. Please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, or anywhere else that you listen to us. Um, if you'd like to connect with us on the socials, you can follow us at Hannah Goes Birding and Eric Goes Birding on Instagram. On our Facebook at Hannah and Eric Go Birding. Our Twitter at We Go Birding. Our TikTok at Hannah and Eric Go Birding. Email us at hannanergobirding at gmail.com. You can also check out our website at www.gobirdingpodcast.com. Tell us what you like, tell us what you hated, and share us with your friends.